0: It's nice to be with you tonight around uh, the word of God. So we're reading from Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Amen. Uh, may God's word uh, touch our hearts uh, tonight. So I, I want to speak to you tonight about uh, what I'm calling um, the sounds and the sights of heaven. Uh, and you can see, I think, that uh, the three main parts of our passage uh, bear, bear that out. Uh, verse 1 I I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven verse uh, number 9 verse 6 then I heard what seemed to be the voice and then in verse 11 then I saw heaven opened it's a very important thing actually to catch the sounds and to see the sights of heaven You know, there are are lots of noises and there are lots of sounds that we're exposed to all the time. And things which our eyes see, all of which influence us to one extent or another. And it's very easy for all of these things to distract us and to take us away from, from spiritual realities. And so here we are sitting in this comfortable hall tonight and yet... We're not going to look around about us in a sense or or be distracted by the sounds and the sights of our world. But we're going to try and catch these sounds and sights that come from heaven. Which are the great and the true realities? Now many people would think we were not entirely with it if if they heard us talking about these things tonight. I can remember once going on a house call to see somebody um, who had been watching and read some channels on the telly and, and, and reading some scripture. And, um, you know, they were, they were trying to section this guy, you know, to say he was psychiatrically unwell. And I had to say, um, the things this man is saying, they're actually, you know, fairly standard for Christian people to talk about, you know. And yet it was it was, it was looked on as being like hallucinations, and, and as being delusional. Um, now we are seeing things. We will be seeing things from this passage of scripture tonight, um, but they are realities. Although it might seem strange to the majority of people um, who listen to them. So let's let's remember that what we have here is the the unveiling. It is the opening up. ...of spiritual realities. I mean, everything really flows, doesn't it, from chapter 5... ...where the Lamb takes the scroll and opens the seals. So we're we're continuing to have things opened up to us... ...revealed to us that have been hidden. And, And let's remember, Scripture says that... ...that eye has not seen and ear has not heard... ...neither has it entered into the heart of man... The things that God has prepared for those that love him. But he has revealed that unto us by his spirit. And that is what is happening even in a kind of obscure passage like this one tonight. It is being opened up to see the sounds and the sights of heaven. So let, let's, let's take them uh, one at a time. Well, what is the first sound that we are we're going to listen for that, that comes from heaven? Well, the first sound is hallelujah. Now, I find it surprising, actually, that this chapter is the only chapter in the New Testament where the word hallelujah is mentioned. You know, it's mentioned four times. This is where Handel took his inspiration for the hallelujah chorus. It comes from this chapter and, and it's mentioned four times. And there are reasons why hallelujah is said. Of course, that's a transliteration of praise the Lord from the Hebrew. Let Yah be hallowed. Hallelujah. And so, let's look first of all um, at the first reason why this peal of praise. And, you know, it's not just um, spoken as a kind of aside uh uh, out of the the corner of somebody 's mouth um, there's, there there's the loud voice that comes from a from a great multitude that 's in heaven and they, and they are crying out this hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. why it 's because of his judgment now that may seem a very strange thing. But let's just think about that. In particular, it's his judgment of the great prostitute. Now, you will have looked at that uh, on previous nights, I'm sure. I won't go back over all of that and recap it. But this refers to Babylon. And Babylon, the great mystery religion, the, 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 the great counterfeit religion that always has run right throughout history, parallel to the true worship of God. Satan's greatest masterpiece, actually, is organized religion that seems to be the right thing and has deceived countless thousands of people into a lost eternity because they feel that they're right with God and it's been a complete delusion. The whole way that it's set up And I'm sure you noticed that Babylon is seen in two forms. There is a religious dimension to it. And there is also a commercial dimension to it. And all of that is is judged by God. The tremendous thing as well about Babylon, false, counterfeit religion, is that it is, although appears to have a friendly, pious face, it is... Absolutely opposed to the true worship of God. And when you go back to chapter 17 and other places where you would have looked at that, um, the point is is made there the same as we have in chapter 2 that the blood of God's servants was found in her. The martyrs slain by this counterfeit religion. And at this point, that system. Is judged by God. And it says there, and the second hallelujah is mentioned, that the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. God's judgments are true and they are, are just. And for that reason, God is to be praised. Now, what that means is this if we really think about it, all too often uh, in our world, we know very well. That, that justice is, is, is not served. That there are people who manage to, to wangle their way out of things. That, uh, things that should be addressed because of competing motives are fudged or diluted or, or it just runs on indefinitely and people are never held to account or brought to justice And people who should stand up and speak, they bottle it and they back away from it. But what we have here is that there will be a day when all that seems counter and contrary and opposed to God will be brought to book. And will be justly held accountable. And that is a reason for praise. That is a reason for worshipping God. That justice will be done. That all the wrongs will be righted, and, it, and 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 good will prevail, and and the kingdom of God will prevail, and what a reason that is for for the worship of God to fill our hearts, because this false system, for centuries, has seduced and has corrupted and has brought down the nations and the peoples of the world and finally has been now exposed and and shown to be what it really is And, and we can praise God for his truth and his justice as far as that is concerned so that is the first reason for the sound of praise that comes um we're nearing the end of course of the book of Revelation and things, things are all coming together there's only a few chapters to go um, and, and, and things are being now brought to a conclusion um, and, and, I, and I mention this because one of the commonest um, points that is, is made against you know, the very existence of God is if there is a God why doesn't he step in? All, all, the, all these terrible things that happen. all all the, all the suffering, all the injustice. what? If there was a God, surely he would step in. And you know, all, all that we can see is that God will eventually stop in, step in. Uh, we don't understand God's time scale but there is a time scale. You'll, you'll remember that incident in the Gospels where, where the disciples are sent into a boat uh, and, a, and a storm arises and uh, the Lord is, is praying on the mountainside beside the lake and it says that despite them battling against the elements he doesn't come to them until the fourth watch of the night the darkest time just before dawn he does come and I don't know why it was until the fourth watch that he waited. But he comes in his own time. Just as it was when the fullness of the time had come that God sent forth his son into our world. In his great purposes, He in his, the, the fullness of this time, his justice will, will, will be meted out. Now... Let's now look at the second uh, of the scenes that we have here uh, from verse number six, and and this is the second reason for Hallelujah being said. And and this, of course, the, the fourth one here from verse number six is uh, is where Handel did take his. Uh, Uh, inspiration, hallelujah for the Lord our God the the omnipotent reigneth I can remember when I was in fourth year at school um, our orchestra played this, you know, and I was second cornet or something like that and uh, and at the end of it, you know, this great feeling of exhilaration, you know, when you hit the high notes and uh, and that's just with a performance but to really enter into the meaning of this and to grasp the depths of of why hallelujah to the lord god the omnipotent the all powerful the almighty is being expressed by all of heaven i mean look look at the look at the description of of hallelujah you know it's more than just first and second cornet you've got the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty Peals of thunder crying out. Just, just think of that, that crashing noise. And the chant is Hallelujah for the Lord God the Almighty reigns. And, and, and why is it now said? Well, it's not because of His justice against oppression. It's, it's because something is about to happen. It's the, it's the marriage. Of the Lamb has come. In fact, more strictly, if you look down to verse 9, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I mention that because there's a difference, isn't there? We, We all know that, even in our culture. There's the wedding, and then there is the wedding reception, or the wedding supper that comes after it. And this is the wedding supper of the Lamb that is being talked about here now what i really mean by that is this that at the point when anybody comes to personal faith in our lord jesus christ they, they become the bride of christ part of the bride of christ right at that point and and of course this is one of the great pictures This is one of the great analogies of scripture that talk about the relationship between the people of God, the church, and their saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many pictures, but this is one of the most precious of them, that the people of God are referred to as as being the bride of Christ. Uh, The church's one foundation is, is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Uh, from heaven he came and sought her uh, to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her sake he died. Christ loved the church, and he and he gave himself up for her. That he might present her to himself as, as, as a glorious church. Without spot, without wrinkle, without without any such thing, and that comes from that chapter in Ephesians five, actually, where it says, "Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her." So there's this wonderful picture of the love that Jesus had for me, and He looks upon me as as His bride. And he says uh, he will never leave me and and he will never forsake me and he will be with me right to the end and he will carry me all the way through and his love is an everlasting love and nothing will ever be able to, to separate me from that union that I have with Christ. I am married to him. He is, as Spurgeon said in his, his hymn, Thou glorious bridegroom of our hearts. That is my relationship with my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his bride and he looks upon me like this. My mind was going to one or two hymns and uh, when I thought about this, I brought my believers hymn book with me so in case I, I, I miss it out. You remember the story in the Old Testament when, when I um, Abraham sends his servant to look for a bride for, 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 for Isaac. And uh, there's a hymn that's kind of based on that. And you remember the story when, when she eventually comes back and Isaac's out walking in the field and he, and he looks in the distance and he sees the camels coming. You know, and his bride is there, and she puts the veil on, and uh, and they're married at that point. There's, there's a hymn that's based on that, uh, in in the hymn book. Uh, it's called "Midst the Darkness, Storm and Sorrow." Let me read uh, some of the verses uh, to you. There, amidst the songs of heaven, sweeter to his ear, is the footfall through the desert ever drawing near there made ready are the mansions glorious bright and fair but the bride the father gave him still is wanting there who is this who comes to meet me on the desert way as the morning star foretelling God's unclouded day he it is who came to win me on the cross of shame, in His glory, well I know Him, evermore the same. There's seven verses to it. It's number 155. You should have a wee read of it uh, later on. It's this wonderful truth of being the bride of Christ. Now, I was having a little glance through the Song of Solomon as I thought about this, the Song of Songs. Solomon wrote a lot of things, but here was his top one. The song of all the songs was the song he wrote for his bride. Okay, the, the Shulamite, the, the country girl that the king married. You know, I actually remember quoting part of that in my wedding speech, actually all those years ago. Um, and uh, if i 've got it right it 's from chapter Two because it was a spring wedding, and um, it talks about it 's the time of the of the birds, the winter is gone, uh, the spring is here, and Solomon says, "Come away with me, my love, you know, and c- c- come away." and uh, it's this, this picture of, of the love of Solomon and his bride that's expressed there and and that is exactly the situation that we are brought into a wonderful relationship of, of union with Christ and um, in, it's now formalised at this particular time in the future it's now made public and uh, people now will see the reality of the, of the marriage supper celebration that he's going to have with his people now this is a wee technical point but uh, I'll, just, I'll just make it uh, anyway uh, it says in verse number 9 blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb So there's a difference between the bride and those who are invited to the marriage supper. Now, just for your interest, I'm not going to say any more about this, but you might want to look at this yourself. If you were to go, for instance, to John chapter 3 and verse 29, um, you have uh, John the Baptist mentioned there. And and look at how it talks about John the Baptist here. Verse 29, John 3. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now complete. John the Baptist and the Old Testament believers... You know, they weren't. They're not part of the bride of Christ, the church. They are the 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 friends, those who are invited, if you like, to it. I'm just going to leave it at that. But you know, it's there, and uh, it means something. Now, the other point I wanted to make, actually, about the bride, it says here um, that she has made herself ready, verse seven, and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and, and pure. And then it says, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. In one sense, this is a little bit surprising. And the reason it's surprising to me anyway, is that th- there, are, there, are, there are two forms, main forms of righteousness that scripture describes for us. That clothes the believer. One of them is the imputed righteousness of Christ. That, that righteousness that is put to our account, that God credits to those who place their faith in Christ. And so I'm, I'm seen as being clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's a wonderful truth. It's a tremendous truth. You know, which means that sometimes when we feel guilty, or when we feel that we've failed, you know when Satan accuses us the fiery darts of the the evil one you remember Ephesians 6 says you put on the breastplate of righteousness and that righteousness is the imputed righteousness of Christ what's the greatest thing that will defend you against Satan's lies and accusations of your guilt and worthlessness before God it's being able to say to him I can defend myself against that I'm, I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ. At the very moment that I placed my faith in Christ, He credited all of Christ's righteousness to me. And that's how God sees me. God doesn't just see me as being neutral. It's not just that when I place faith in Him, He just kind of removes my sins and I'm in a kind of innocent, neutral state. Not at all. He puts positively all the righteousness of Christ to my account. That's a wonderful thing. Tremendous thing. But that's not what it says here actually. What it says here is that the righteousness that's been described and has been emphasised is the righteous deeds of the saints. It's, it's practical righteousness. It's right living. The, the, the righteousness that we should develop and grow into as far as our maturing in Christian life is concerned. So Did you know, and this is a quote I can remember from I don't know who, but uh, it's stuck with me over the years, and it's this, that we are weaving now what we will be wearing then. So, this fine linen that symbolically the bride of Christ is wearing, this is probably where this whole thing comes about how brides are dressed in white, actually. Probably comes from this imagery. The white is symbolic of the righteous deeds that I have done as part of my reward. Now, that's a big challenge. You know, what will I be wearing in that coming day? Will it it be this fine linen which is the righteous deeds of the saints? So let's move to our final point. These have been the sounds of heaven. You know the hallelujah chorus has been sung. And we've listened to that. And we should continue to listen to that. That's the kind of thing that should fill our ears. The praise of God and the reasons for the praise of God. His justice and the, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now we come to the vision. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. What a, what a fantastic awe-inspiring sight uh, we have here in this vision uh, of the the rider on the white horse who comes out of heaven. Now, now this is a description of, of the return of Christ. All right, this, this is the second coming of Christ. Not the rapture but the coming of Christ to the earth. And he's coming at the head of all the armies of heaven. Tremendous picture. That's being uh, displayed for. And this is what John sees. Alright? In this symbolic way. And, and this is something that, that our eyes should be fastened on as well. is the coming of Christ. Now, what, what I want to draw your attention to here is, um, first of all, the different names that he is described by. Now, he is the rider on the white horse. But there are, are in fact five descriptions, five names in this passage of the rider. I'm going to back up slightly at this point into our previous section and, and just just um, read what I, I, I believe is one of the key words, the key verses to help our interpretation of the entire book of Revelation. All right, And it's, it's verse number 10. Where it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, what's the spirit of prophecy? You know, what's the whole point of prophecy? What is the whole philosophy of of prophecy? Well, it's the testimony of Jesus. That is what the, the heart, the spirit of prophecy is. Which means this. Go you the book of revelation fundamentally it is not a jigsaw puzzle all right it is not a, a puzzle that we put all the little parts in and we get everything in the right place and uh, and and that's us all sorted not at all that would that would be wide wide of the mark the whole point of prophecy and the book of revelation is the is the, the testimony of jesus it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is being revealed throughout this book. And that is what we have to see. I mean, just in this chapter alone, we've got to school ourselves. We've got to educate ourselves to think this way. And so when you come to a passage like just chapter 19 on its own, we, we have seen him as the judge of all the earth. We've, we've seen his his justice We have seen him as the great bridegroom of the church. And we now see him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's also described as the Lamb here. And there are so many other descriptions and pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he stands central. And he stands at the very heart. And it's about him... Everything is about in this book and so we have to have our eyes fixed on the greatness and the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the spirit. He is the spirit of prophecy. Very important point when we come to interpret this book. Okay, So let's look at these names. So of course here in verse number 10... He's just simply referred to as Jesus. Jesus. The name that was given to him by the angel at his birth. A name of, of course of great significance. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. A the very key, key name. The fact that he came to save humanity from their sins. He was made a little lower than the angels. You know, we see not everything placed under his feet, but we see Jesus. The name of his humiliation, when he left the throne of God and came down into our world. Jesus, his human name. Secondly though, verse 11, the one sitting on this white horse is called Faithful and true. Not a bad name to have. Faithful and true. The Lord Jesus is is faithful. You know I mean? A lot of faithless people around, you know. People who, who say they'll do something and they don't, never follow it through, people who betray, people who are disloyal, treason, all the rest of it. Absolutely not true at all. And yet we look to the Lord Jesus, completely faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Faithful to the mission that God gave him to do and to accomplish when he came into the world. And faithful to his people. You know, you remember maybe that passage in Timothy which says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself he cannot deny himself he will always be faithful to his people and so that, that is the second name you know. and what insight that gives us to the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ we can absolutely depend uh, upon him third uh, down now in uh, verse number where are we Verse 12, Um, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. What's your name? Nobody knows (laughs) but me. Um, Now what's the the idea of this? What, what, What point is being made when it's saying that, you know, giving us insight and understanding into who he is? When it says this, nobody knows his name. Well, what it means is this. There are, there are, there are things about Christ. Such is his greatness, and such is his glory, that, that it's actually beyond us. And we will never get there. We might understand something about his, his human name, Jesus, or, or the fact that he's faithful and true, but, but there are depths to the person of Christ that only God knows, and we will never be able to comprehend. And, th- and that's a wonderful thing. You know, that- that's awe inspiring. That I will never have it all taped, and I will never be able to comprehend. That causes me to stand amazed in the presence of Christ. The next one is uh, down in verse 13. He's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Name number four, the Word of God. Now, this, this title is unique to the writings of John. All right, John is the only person, of course, John sees this vision. Uh, John also uses it. John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What's what's the idea? I remember reading in a newspaper article once, and uh, the journalist was saying, "Yeah, you know, um, you know, uh, art uh, and journalism far supersedes science and mathematics because the Bible even says." in the beginning was the word. Language is the thing. Well, of course he hadn't got a Scooby what he was talking about. I mean when when it talks about the Word, you know what it's really meaning is this the Lord Jesus Christ is the total expression of who God is. We would never know what God was truly like had not the Lord Jesus come into the world and shown us and told us what god was like he is the word in that sense it's very interesting actually when you read john chapter 1 there's there's a there's a very interesting contrast because john the baptist who i referred to earlier on comes and he says i am the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the lord interesting voice versus word a voice is just the vehicle. The word is the message. You know? And that's the greatness of who. He is the word. The full expression. The full communication of who God is. And his name is called the word of God and you you can see the description that's given uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he rules them with a rod of iron final name uh, verse number 16 on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of lords and uh, Of course, part of the description earlier on, um, it says in verse number 12, that on his head are are many diadems. Diadems is a form of crown. Crown him with with many crowns. Stephen had been reading the passage before he he picked his hymns tonight. The Lamb upon his throne. And, And here, in his glory, riding out of an open heaven, with the armies of heaven following him, is, is the, the supreme king, you know. Uh, there have been many kings and lords and important people, but above and beyond every one, here is, is the greatest person of all, the king of all kings, and the lord of all lords. And, 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 and these names, these five names here, build up the picture the greatness of christ as as he returns you know this this, to, to a large extent is almost the kind of forgotten doctrine of the church today is the return of christ he came at at christmas at bethlehem he he entered into our world in his humility the last our world saw of jesus Was when they crucified him upon the cross in seeming weakness. But it's not the last time that this world will see the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus will return again. In tremendous power and glory. uh, To deal with his enemies. Now it goes on I'm not going to go on forever tonight and I said to Paul there's a lot in this chapter here, really. <laughs> but uh, um, you'll, you'll notice here that it talks about uh, verse number 20 uh, verse 19 rather the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him. now this beast of course is a, is, is a person you know, if you want to get a bit more detail about this, you read Second Thessalonians chapter one and chapter two, the man of sin, the lawless one, who sets himself up in the temple of God as God, and this is the one who the Lord Jesus will destroy, this one world ruler, the Antichrist, who one at one stage will, will, will walk upon the stage of history and terrible things will happen. And this is the one that the Lord Jesus rides out from heaven to capture along with the false prophet who had deluded with his signs and deceived those who had received uh, the mark of the beast. And uh, they are no match for the Lord Jesus Christ and the armies, the massed armies of heaven. So these, these are the sounds and the sights of heaven Uh, despite everything else that fills our minds and fills our ears these are what we should school and educate ourselves to listen to and to see in our day and age they all converge on the glorious person of our Lord Jesus and let's never forget that, that key verse there, verse number 10 that the testimony of Jesus is the, is the spirit, the true spirit of prophecy. May um, God bless his word as we think about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. now shall we pray.